Hello friends, I'm Ashish Tabari, founder and CEO of Faximize. To our new listeners, welcome, and to our old ones, welcome back. Today in the house, we have a fascinating technical authority in the field of portable stimulus. Yes, friends, I'm talking about none other than Adnan Hamid, founder and CEO of Breaker. Welcome, Adnan. Thank you, Ashish. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. So you're the CEO of Breaker. Um, and, you know, before we talk about the fascinating things you're doing now, I would like you to share a bit on your personal journey, uh, where you were born, how did you get into science and engineering, um, anything you may want to share with our listeners. Of course. So, yes, my story is maybe a little bit different from many. I was born in China, in Beijing, China, um, as the child of a diplomat. Wow. So my parents were diplomats posted from Bangladesh to uh -huh. China. <clears throat> Very interesting. Then around when I was 10, we happened to be posted back in Bangladesh at the time. And my mom was working with one of the first computers in Bangladesh, the third world country. Not We got, got them a little bit late. Um, and at the ripe old age of 10, I learned basic from the main, famous Tandy TRS-80, manual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't have the computer. I just did the manual, but it all made sense to me, right? You know how it goes with kids. Sure. And I quickly concluded that, hey, I can program computers fine, but what I really wanted to do was build the damn things. And that's how I got into science and engineering. So to evolve that story a little bit um, for our listeners here, I actually finished my schooling in the UK, um, up by your neck of the woods in uh, Seven Oaks, down in Kent. Oh, wow. Finished that and uh, went to college at Princeton, okay, on the East Coast of the US. So um, now that story relates a little bit to what eventually became Brecker, because I was at Princeton on a scholarship, but needed money for books and clothes. So I ended up taking a job at the psychology department, mm -hmm. uh, working for six bucks an hour as a programmer <laughs> yeah. for a professor right. who happened to be doing research in AI. Wow. Okay. And that guy, um, uh, his name was Brian Reiser, uh, he was actually working at the time on planning algorithms. So today uh -huh. when we yeah. hear AI, yeah, we yeah. all think about mm -hmm. deep learning, oh, yeah, uh, but yeah. there are other branches. Yeah, yeah. So Uh, planning algorithms is 
it knows so much about what it's trying to do that you can generate high-level debug information, mm -hmm. more abstract than looking at waveforms. Mm -hmm. And it lends itself very much to requirements of traceability. So, and, so wait uh, a second. So wait a second. So, so, so sorry to interrupt you. So we, we are going no, ahead. Please. We are going ahead of ourselves here. So I, there's yeah. a lot of fascinating stuff you talked about, which is your journey from UK, where we're based. Um, I've spent yes. many years in, in London, and and you basically ended up in Princeton, working at six dollars an hour, um, and then ended up in AMD, having to do the grunt work of writing test cases. But actually, yes. the, the the cusp of what you end up doing now is basically your introduction to planning algorithms as, as you said part of artificial intelligence for a very long time and and in fact you're saying that is what was your main um shall i say the the eureka moment and and you said okay let's take this further and use this to achieve multiple different solutions to problems that you were already seeing in the field um, this is this is really nice. I didn't know that actually. Um, I I'm not an expert at portable stimulus, and we'll get into portable stimulus in a second. Um, but I always wondered, looking at it from reading it and talking to you uh, and others, is that there seems to be a lot of synergy with AI and planning. Because uh, I've done something similar back many years ago, so I could see the correspondence. Uh, but let's dive into portable stimulus. So. Um, a lot of our listeners actually might not be very much familiar with portable stimulus, but they are familiar with dynamic simulation, UVM, maybe formal. Um, so can we go down a bit deep, but at an introductory level, what is portable stimulus and why do you need this? Yes, of course. Um, let me start by touching a little bit on what you said about planning al algorithms, right? Sure. Because... Um, the fact is, there are no new ideas in the world, right? We just apply old ideas to new uh, new problems. Um, pro CPUs were designed well before we could build them, right? Um, a lot of the math we do in formal techniques were designed well before our computers were strong enough to do them. Yeah. Um, so planning algorithms were developed in the mid-70s, I think. Mm -hmm. And yes, the only aha was apply a known body of work mm -hmm. to verification. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now getting on to the question you asked, right? Um, uh, what, what, is is, portable uh, what is portable stimulus yeah. by the end of care? Right? For, um, at the very highest level, portable stimulus is simply the next level of abstraction for verification. And the uh, easy way to think about it, at least for me, is now we're all used to the idea of logic synthesis. We write RTL, um, we feed it to some tool and out comes our gates. Mm -hmm. But you know, it was not that long ago, it was only about 20 years ago that uh, this was done by schematic capture. And, I, and that was just the way you did things. And that was actually the tip of the spear as far as technology goes, right? It was better than having to um, draw a write that list by hand, right? Yeah. But along came a high level of abstraction and we got huge value from it. Mm -hmm. And now we need to go from 25 nanometer to 15 nanometer technology. We just press the button again, same RTL in, completely different gates out. Mm -hmm. Okay. The reason I bring this up is what we, uh, what I've been working on here for the last 15 years is what I call test suite synthesis, right? We take a portable stimulus model as input and synthesize closure on all the test cases that we need. 
again, we'll talk a little bit more about what closure means because that's a loaded, uh, loaded point unto itself. Mm -hmm. So by abstracting the, the capture of the verification intent, yeah. uh, a lot less work, and you can cover all your different platforms. So why is it called portable stimulus? So it's driven from requirements, and you're operating at the level of Hey, if you tell me your requirements, I can generate test cases in order to provide a complete coverage-based test infrastructure. But what is the stimulus world doing there? Because we're talking about the portability of requirements, isn't it? Fair enough. Uh, personally, I like the word portable, and I think the word stimulus undersells the whole, the whole principle, but it's the name that stuck. <laughs> Um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what is actually going on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so I'm a I'm a little bit trying to answer your question and get it a little bit into why we need this. Okay? Sure. So the picture I want you to form in your head is okay, ultimately we're building state machines, right? Mm -hmm. We're building state machines. Mm -hmm. state machines. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We can describe our intention for this for this thing, this product, this chip, mm -hmm. this sock, this yeah. device, whatever yeah. level of hierarchy you add, it doesn't matter. Correct. Yeah. You can't describe it, its requirements as a flowchart. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. Some configure with some configuration, given some configuration and some input, you should see some mm -hmm. output. Mm -hmm. And we could draw this on a whiteboard yeah. as an chart. Yeah. Okay. Now as we get into this. We would say, okay, yes, but there are many many options for each configuration. There are many options for each uh, input. There are many options for each output, and there's some relationship between which ones, uh, which configurations, which inputs, and which outputs go together. Right. But the fact is this: that um, we don't train DV engineers to think like this formally, but oh, we no. do this. We, this is what we all do in our head, mm -hmm. which is what's Indeed. the output I'm trying to check. Right. Therefore, what input do I need and what configuration must I set up? Right. Okay. If you can capture that flowchart, then what you're trying to do is make sure you've tested all the path through that flowchart. But hang on a second. See, we are actually not thinking about stimulus necessarily at the flowchart level at this point. We're thinking in terms of what outputs we need. And of course, we have some idea of what what is the nature of the inputs driving this um, design or, or a SOC or whatever level of abstraction we are talking about? But we're not necessarily yeah. thinking in terms of sequences yet. We're, we're purely thinking in terms of relationship between IO. Oh, I love, I love that point, right? So <laughs> usually when the sequences in our industry, we are specifically meaning UVM sequences, right? Yeah, I know, yeah. And... Um, but that's not enough, right? We no. have the UVM sequence at the block level. We want to do subsystem sequences. We want to do full chip often yeah. with software-driven tests. Yeah. We need to go to emulation. We need to bring in uh -huh. the firmware and so mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. So that's the whole point of saying abstraction. We've yeah. got to move above the mechanics of how the test bench works. Cool. Yeah, that's what I was expecting. Yeah, yeah. carry on. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yes, we are well above the test batch mechanics okay? mm -hmm. and really um, if there's one takeaway for our listeners for me mm -hmm. it's look get up above the test batch and think about what we got to get done right Excellent. And think yeah. in terms of that flowchart yeah. things we got to cover 
right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's how I think. That's how I think about replication. Yeah, yeah. Once you wrap your mind around configurations to inputs to outputs, and you're trying to cover all the paths, okay, you got to do a little bit more. You got to have hierarchical um, flowcharts because we build complicated things. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to recognize that different paths represent different product requirements mm-hmm. or requirements traceability, right? Mm-hmm. Why do we have this configuration with the possibility of this input is mm-hmm. to satisfy a mm-hmm. particular requirement, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have to consider concurrency across the scenarios. Yes. Okay, so, yes. but this is basically the idea. Yeah. So this is this is really awesome. Um, let, let me pause you for a second. So this is all going down in the right direction of requirements-driven design, requirements-driven verification, and this ties very nicely with all of these um, industry standards like ISO 26262 or the DO254. Um, so this this is very very nice. This is absolutely the right way to approach the verification problem. So I can see these two as being primary reasons. What else do you think were the reasons for you to be actually going fast with this? Um, Were you noticing bugs that were being missed in silicon using conventional verification? Was that the driver for you to speed up this uh, development? My real driver, back when I started, Hmm. was I was too lazy to do the work the other way. Right, (laughs) right, right. what is that? If necessity is the mother of invention, mm-hmm. yeah. laziness is the father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, that's a good translating word. that into translating that into um, practical knowledge, right? If you are a verification manager, why do you, why would you even consider looking into this? Right. And the math is very simple. Yeah. We've known for decades, a verification is seventy percent of our budget mm-hmm. in developing product. Indeed. Yeah. You dig into the Wilson research data and you find that over 50% of that 70% mm-hmm. is in developing and debugging test content. Yeah, yeah. People spend a lot of time doing that. Mm. And you have you have many environments, right? You mm-hmm. do this over and over again. You do a block, a subsystem, a system. You do it in simulation, emulation, FPGA, silicon, with firmware. Um, so you're repeating that 50% work over and over again on each platform. The notion of using a single source to ge- to synthesize the right output for all those platforms mm-hmm. is clearly what is needed, right? We, I mean, that's a, that's a jump we're making with portable stimulus. That's a very so big jump. That's, that's a very big leap. That's basically saying, it? yeah, I think this is like it saying is. this is the universal language that will actually cope with different levels of abstraction, going from IP all the way up to the full system. And you're saying you're you building, must. yeah. So you are. You're basically saying it's a universal framework, and, and it's funny how UVM is called the universal verification methodology, but I sometimes don't find it universal enough. <laughs> um, I find it very. No, <laughs> I, I, not, not touching that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's probably universal in a certain context, of course, in the world of many uh, universes, right? But I think what you're saying here is, is in, oh, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm looking into it in, in, a, in a way that you may not be indicating, but I think what you're saying is come up with a way of describing these requirements-driven uh, scenarios so that you can break them down to the level of IP, block, subsystems, all the way up to systems and firmware, which, which is yes. actually very bad. So how old is portable stimulus, Adnan? How long have you been doing this? True history of this is I started with this um, 
planning algorithms for test generation was um, when I started the uh, the company, initially we were applying this at the IP level mm. and we were working with ST mm-hmm. and um, ST came to us and said, hey, this is really useful at the IP level. Can you also generate for me my software driven test mm. so I can run it run the same IP from the CPU? Mm. And since my background was from AM, at AMD when we were using planning algorithms, we were generating assembly code, so sure. we were just right. used to doing this. <laughs> yeah, okay. So the fact is we did the software and stuff overnight. Right. And then later figured out that we did something useful. No, I totally see what you're saying. So, so, so all in all, what we're saying, what, 10 years, 20 years? Um, um, I would say about 10 years. 10 yeah. years. 10, 15 years, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Uh, depends on where you count from. Right? Yeah. I've been selling products in test suite synthesis for since about 2008. So that's 12 years. So I, I, I can't quite put a hand on when I started to hear about portable stimulus, but now almost every big conference you go to, uh, there has mm-hmm. to be a track and a panel uh, about portable stimulus. And uh, some of my other partner companies, um, EDA companies are also heavily investing in this, so I can certainly see that this is this is the future of how things are going to evolve. So let me move on to another topic, Adnan. Um, and I know we've talked about this before. Um, a lot of the terminology and concepts with portable stimulus is about it being decorative, it's compositional, driven from requirements. Um, actually, all of this is stuff, as you now told me, you've been reading the same books, it looks like I've been reading. <laughs> so... so So we've been talking about this in the formal methods area for four decades or more. um, And I always thought um, we should try and use the collateral that you guys are building in portable stimulus to somehow tie this with formal verification. Uh, So what are your thoughts on this? Uh, Could we actually use a lot of these uh, requirements or specification schemes and and synthesize our assertions and covers? Um, What's your take on that? Definitely. I think I uh, greatly agree with, you, uh, agree with you. I mean, the fact is that this whole the whole planning approach of uh, start with a check and work backwards to figure out your stimulus is the same concept as the assertions and, uh, yeah. and constraints. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't actually talk yes. about stimulus informal because uh, stimulus is comes yeah, yeah, for yeah. free. We just talk about blocking the stimulus that is illegal. And we think, you talk about constraints. Yeah, so we, we basically say, yeah, constraints. What constraints would be needed? What is it we're yes. going to verify? What is yes. the requirement? Yes. So the but you're constraining what can come in, and you yeah. are asserting that if these legal things come in, uh, that uh, you have some properties about. Yeah, exactly. I think the biggest win, I mean, the, the way I look at this is where we, are, we are, where we are winning against simulation is that we don't have to actually spend time designing test sequences because they come to us for free. Informal. Yes, and that's a very big thing. And it win. covers, and uh, and it covers all of the space in one go. Mm, that's right? right. That's right. Um, so it is. It is huge, and I'm, a, I'm not an expert, but I'm a big fan. Right. Um, yeah, the two words seem quite um, isomorphic at times. Um, so, so this compositionality aspect of portable stimulus, do you use that a lot in either the tool chain or in actual specification? Um, Frameworks. The composability. Yeah, composability. Yeah. It, um, it turns out to be a 
primary anchor of the whole thing working. Okay, I mean the easy way to think about it mm-hmm. is uh, you go build some model for a UART, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. go build some model for a DMA, mm-hmm. you test each of the IPs separately when you're in the SOC. You want to see that input from the UART can be moved by the DMA and mm-hmm. vice versa. So mm-hmm. you've got to plug these things together. So mm-hmm. it's not a hey, here's a feature we use quite a lot. It is a little bit the anchoring idea over here. Mm. Right. Or go the other way, right? At the, uh, just like anything else, use the V model, right? You architect yeah. top down, yeah. bottom up, yeah. and you might be starting with your requirements instead yeah. of breaking that out into okay, this is, this yeah. is how my model is going to look and yeah. start populating the bottom up. So I yeah. think it's very fundamental. So, so two things come come in my mind. So when you're talking about specification of requirements in the portable stimulus flowchart type, and now we're talking about compositionality. Um, are we capturing temporal specifications as well in portable stimulus? And what about composition over time? How do we handle the fact that actually... This is, uh, this is a great question, and the answer is yes. Okay. Um, portable stimulus definitely must reason about time, or we must do closure on time. Mm-hmm. But having said that, we also need to be aware that we're talking about an abstracted concept of time. A starts at the same time as B. A starts Mm -hmm. after B. Mm -hmm. Um, You probably don't want, you you could capture it, but you probably don't want to say A happens three cycles after B. No, we don't want the cycle level. Yeah, we don't want that level of parallelity. Because you can't take that up to silicon, right? You you don't have control. No, no. So, um, so yes, um, we, we have ordering information, we have concurrency information, mm-hmm. and that in turn lets you go th- um, think about measuring temporal coverage, mm. uh, measuring um, what's the yeah, 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 word yeah. for it, this idea of interleave coverage, right? I have yeah. sequence A, B, C, I have sequence 1, 2, 3. Mm. What are all the ways that those things could uh, interleave? Mm. <laughs> right. so, um, so, this is this. I mean, you, you're familiar with CSP, communicating sequential processes, and a lot of work done mm-hmm. by Robin Milner back. And then we have um, EventB, which is another framework. And a lot of these frameworks allow similar uh, way of uh, capturing temporal specifications. And it's like a refinement-based approach. You start with very abstract specifications, and you can refine them and make them more and more precise and add more granularities of time. Is it something similar you're doing in the portable stimulus framework? So I think, again, you're on to a very important uh, question. So uh, first of all, I'm not um, deeply familiar with the two frameworks you talked about. Um, But I am certain that the answer to your question is yes. Okay. Um, but I do want to put a spin on it. The thing with portable stimulus, it's a little bit like the thing with Verilog. Mm. It's not about making, it's not about teaching people languages, it's about having a language that people can use. VHDL was a quote, better language, unquote, than mm-hmm. Verilog, because it was more formal, more structured, more, mm-hmm. more complete, and no one could write it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, Verilog, from a tool perspective, from an analysis perspective, is, uh, it sucks, we can't make sense of anything going on, but people know how to program, 
right? So um, in portable stimulus, we should we need to be able to fork and join threads just like we're used to in C++. Yeah. Uh, system or, or system variables. System variables fork is yeah. more constrained, right? Yeah, yeah, more, yeah. More yeah, yeah. Um, but, the, but the point over here is don't make, don't ask human beings to learn the tool. Mm -hmm. have the tool work the way the human beings are used to programming mm. and in with portable stimulus we, we have to come back to your conversation about formal but in portable stimulus this need is much higher than any other tool because you have such a wide audience mm -hmm. right you want to mm -hmm. talk to the uvm guy down at the mm. uh, ip level you want mm. to talk at the bare metal c guy doing system integration you want to talk to the driver guy who's mm. a full software guy mm. he's not going to learn some deep mm -hmm. and declarative thing but that's cool yeah. we can take we know how to take Verilog and synthesize logic right yeah. we can take um, regular languages and sort out what they mean and, yeah. and generate all the things we need yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm pretty sure there is correspondence because this concept of fork and join and other such. I mean, basically, you're using a concurrent language framework which is what the languages like Ruby and CSP um, they they provided, but let's move on to to other things before we run out of time. Yes. I know you're quite busy, and um, so we have to get you back, Adnan, because I think we've only just literally touched some of the topics in a very uh, fleeting way. Um, but it's okay. I think that for for a lot of uh, our listeners, this might be the first time they're listening uh, to portable stimulus. But tell me if actually a listener today wanted to take away five tips from you to become productive with their DV, uh, what would be your advice? What would be those five tips of mine? I'll give you three. Sure. Okay. Um, first, take a step back and look at what you're doing. Okay. Recognize um, the distinction between what is your test bench and what is the content you're running on that test bench. Recognize how much work you're putting into that content in terms of writing sequences, writing your checkers, writing your coverage models. Today, we're just told that's what you have to do, so we go burn lots and lots of people doing it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and then look at how many times that same work is repeated, right? You'll write a USB test at unit level, you'll write it at full chip level, you write it again in, there in um, diagnostics. Um, so just look at that and consider that that's a huge waste and that there are now better ways to approach it. So my point over here, my first point is take a step back, look at where you're burning time and then time and people and that there are, is a better way to do it. My second point is step back and think a little bit about your verification planning, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about tools that let you capture trees of, uh, yeah, trees yeah. of requirements. No. Um, this whole idea of, okay, let's start with our requirements and our features. For each of that, let's break that down into what we have to check to know the feature is working. And to check that, therefore, what, so what stimulus must we drive? We know we have to do this, but this is not how we think. We go write our list of requirements and features. Separately, we go develop randomized stimulus. Mm -hmm. Separately with the checker, and then we go say, okay, how are we going to cover this, cover the thing? And we have a big mess, right? Right. Okay, indeed. And, um, and this is a very good logical way of thinking through your planning. And then once you get through there, then realize that you can capture that plan directly mm. in this flowcharts mm. and synthesize all the tests you need. 
shouldn't so they, shouldn't I, yeah sorry shouldn't shouldn't verification planning then take the shape and form of these flowcharts as opposed to then shouldn't they be the most canonical form of entry into the whole verification that, activity that's what that I is my thesis right yeah. exactly Ashish, right yeah. once uh, I mean that's maybe a little bit the point of my uh, the idea behind my three points right first mm. realize that what we're doing is in the stone ages. <laughs> Second, go think about how yeah. go think about yeah. um, uh, how you should be thinking about your plans. Right? It's obvious to you what what I said is right, but it's not what we do. Yeah, but no. once you think it out that way, yes, that is a flowchart. I described a flowchart in words, and from that flowchart, uh, that becomes your ex executable specification. Mm -hmm. Turns out that you can draw flowcharts and simply generate the portable stimulus model. Um, and from that, we can go generate all the test cases, and these are all the stuff we've pioneered. Um, but that's detail, right? Great. That's technology. Great. And technology is always detail. Great. And the big value over here is you get deterministic coverage closure, yeah. right? Today, just uh, throw the dice, see whether you got what you wanted. Use a lot less people, a lot less time. Mm -hmm. And then one that I think is uh, under-recognized, you preserve knowledge. Mm -hmm. You take a USB expert today and he does all your tests, he takes off, goes to come and goes to his next company and you're going, well, we don't have anyone who knows how this thing works. Right. If you have the flow chart, it's got to capture it. So, right. yeah. So to summarize, right, take a step back, see how wasteful the efforts we are doing today are. Take a step back, look at how verification planning should really be done. And then realize that if you plan it the way we, you and I are talking about, generate tests directly from that plan. Awesome. So actually, what you said is, is nailed down in three different artifacts, which I totally agree. Take a step back, think about verification planning, think about reuse in a sensible way, not in a wasteful way, and think about this in a documentation-oriented way. Um, all yes. of this actually looks to me very, very necessary, useful stuff, but now I'm not sure how long it would take collective of all of our practitioners in the industry to make that these changes happen because you know change is very difficult you know COVID-19 has enforced a change on the whole humanity but you know what you're actually saying is you know we need a big change and as you said from stone age to the to the new age as it were do you really believe we can actually make that happen and how long do you think we could before we just wrap up our chat today that would be an interesting parting thought actually <laughs> This is uh, change management. Yes. Very important concept. Hmm. Okay. Um, and the good news over here is, yeah, the game doesn't have to be that you go change everything you're doing across the company overnight because that simply will never happen. Hmm. Right? Hmm. Um, the tools we build, they synthesize test cases for existing test benches. Mm -hmm. So you could be carrying on building, you might have a UVM environment, you carry on writing your own UVM sequences, um, and now you have this source of, you know, you had 100 UVM sequences, and for about the time it took you to write the 101st UVM sequence, we can generate a thousand of them, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, and then we can, uh, you have your full chip environment that's running C programs and you press the button from the same model and you have C programs that run that environment. So what we have found is um, the value is obvious in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. Reuse has to be good, abstraction has to be good, synthesis has to be good. These, these points are not, nobody's going to argue with them, mm -hmm. other than that compatibility. Mm -hmm. um, what it takes is um, a hard problem. 
So problems where human beings are having to write thousands of test cases, mm -hmm. thousands of sequences. Mm -hmm. If you got, if you need a hundred, this is not, mm -hmm. this is not where you start, right? Mm -hmm. You need an early adopter, right? You need somebody who wants to make the world move forward. Mm -hmm. And then you apply it in one place, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Or you apply it in two adjacent places, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, in fact, what I usually look for is a problem that requires a large suite of tests and has at least two platforms, right? UVM to full chip or simulation to emulation or right. emulation to silicon. Okay. Um, and that's a way to take a baby step forward, prove for the thought leaders to prove to their management, mm. hey, this makes a difference, we ought to do it. Um, and that's how adoption happens. That but I didn't tell you anything new. That's no, just no, the but, yeah, but no, <laughs> no, 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 but, but actually this is the thing, Yatman, right? What you're saying is target the areas where you have lots of test cases, where you have a blend going from simulation to emulation. And those are areas, these are tips that managers and, and senior verification leads can take from our discussion is if they want to yes. go and actually evangelize, deploy portable stimulus, and I'm wondering where should I start from, this is the point to start it from. And this, I think, is important. I mean, we're not going to change, you know, we're not talking about a revolution, we're talking about a structured evolution, right? And we, we're looking so, at deploying it in a sensible way so people can take value out of it and see it for themselves. And that's, yes. that's pretty much what I would expect. I mean, from a formal verification point of view, whenever I'm trying to get this deployed, this is how my approach is. Uh, anything new for that matter, right? We've got to understand that people are used to old ways. But, uh, but you know, man, great, fascinating chat, Adnan. I, I know our time is uh, running out today. But uh, thank you very much for your time, Adnan. And um, if, if, you, if you are going to be slightly less busy, uh, if you can squeeze out another half an hour for us later this year, we will continue where we leave today. Uh, but for today, thank you very much, Adnan. Thank you. Thank you, Shish. So I hope, friends, you liked today's podcast. We had a fascinating discussion on portable stimulus, where it came from, and how it could be deployed in practice in your projects. So let us know uh, by emailing us at info.axiomize.com. Follow us on our Axiomize YouTube channel. And let's stay in touch and keep healthy. Thank you very much. <music>